Brett Halpern presenting to you Section 247 Sports, the goal line stand, all football, all the time. Normally, I am joined by the the captain, the creator of the Section 247 Sports Podcast Network, Mike Lipinski. Unfortunately, he is slightly under the weather. No worries. He is doing fine, but unfortunately, he's not able to uh, record with me. Nevertheless, the show does venture on because we all love football and the 2021 NFL season is upon us. This is also our premiere and debut episode on Sportswire Radio. We'd like to thank Tommy Bryce and all the good people at Sportswire Radio uh, for showcasing us and providing us yet another platform to reach our fans. So for all of you listening for the first time, welcome. Uh, The premise of this show is I, Brett Halpern, um, and one of my best friends, Mike Lipinski, uh, we have known each other our entire lives through the sport of football. Mike grew up a Philadelphia Eagles fan, being that we both grew up, we're both, he's from Philadelphia, uh, then we both grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is still in the heart of Eagles country. My whole family's from New York. My family's had season tickets to the New York Giants since 1946. So I'm a Giant fan. So it is two knowledgeable football people, one an Eagles fan, one a Giant fan, and we talk about football. We also share a love for Rutgers football and college football in general. And we really just love the sport and love talking about it. Uh, we have very much enjoyed doing this. This is uh, now we're coming up on season two of the show. And really, again, just love doing this and talking about it. So we are also in partnership with Sports Talk Philly, uh, sportstalkphilly.com, where good old Mike is actually. Uh, one of the contributors to the website also talks about uh, Philly sports, some college sports, all great stuff. Definitely check them out. We are brought to you also by Michael's Glass Company, uh, the premier glass company in the Delaware Valley area. 215-338-3293. Where can you find us on social media? At GL Stand Show on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have a YouTube page. So you can see my lovely Punham as well as Mike's uh, links will be in the show notes. Um, also, again, we are part of the Section 247 Sports Podcast Network. What else does that entail? Well, that entails In the Fight Show and Book It Better Pal. Both already um, you can find on Sportswire Radio. Uh, for In the Fight Show, check us out at ITF Show as well as inthefight.net. We also have merch for the In The Fight Show. Check us out, tkostore.com, T-E-E-K-O-Store.com. We will soon have merch for the goal line stand. Lastly, we're all football fans here. Football fans like to eat. And for football fans in the Delaware Valley region, particularly those in the main line, you want to check out DePaul's Table. 7 East Lancaster Avenue, right in the heart of Ardmore, PA. DePaulsTable.com. It's a modern Italian steakhouse. Beautiful atmosphere, even better food. If you see the owner, Anthony, uh, please tell him that Mike and Brett sent you. Uh, He will be delighted to see you. The place is doing fantastic. I know in one of the local uh, 
magazines they were recently named a one of the top five steakhouses in the main line and obviously there's a lot of great eateries along the main line so to be named in that prestigious group such a short time into their existence i think really shows how impressive the place is so definitely check out the paul's table so what do we have in store for our debut episode on the sports wire radio well we are going to do our 2021 NFL season preview, which obviously is super important. Um, and how is that? How are we accomplishing that? Well, I have a rather sick and twisted brain, and I created my own Excel spreadsheet and literally picked every game of the 2021 NFL season, kept track of the records, then placed everyone in the appropriate seedings. Then I essentially, in my brain, simulated the playoffs as well as the Super Bowl. So I'm going to tell you what my breakdown is for that. We're also going to have news and notes from around the league, some college football week one wrap-up, as well as some week two uh, previews, particularly in the Big Ten, which is the conference that we focus on, as well as some things just uh, generally about the football world. And given that this weekend will be the 20th anniversary of the night, uh, September 11th terrorist attacks. I just wanted to briefly touch upon that topic as well. So let us begin with some news around the league. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens have been in the news recently. First, I guess on a positive note, they extended tight end Mark Andrews uh, four years, $56 million, with $37.6 million guaranteed. That's right, not 37.6, not 37.5. So congrats to Mark Andrews on that hell of a player. Uh, unfortunately, the Baltimore Ravens have actually lost their second running back for the season. Uh, Justice Hill went down with a torn Achilles, and this is uh, in the wake of losing J.K. Dobbins for the season when he injured his knee during the third preseason game. So in response to that, the Baltimore Ravens have signed Le'Veon Bell to their practice squad of all players. Can you imagine, think, go, go back, you know, several years when Le'Veon Bell was at the height of his um, skills and whatnot at, during his time with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Could you imagine him playing as a Baltimore Raven? That's going to be a really interesting sight to see. Once he is fully acclimated, I would suspect that by week two, he will be activated to the main roster. Speaking of the Pittsburgh Steelers, there's a little bit of drama. There is contract extension negotiations going on between the Steelers and T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt this, this summer has essentially been what is now being referred to as a hold-in. Now, it used to be that players held out of training camp. You know, some examples would be Michael Strahan, some others. And the thing is that due to the new CBA and the strict penalties facing holdouts, players are not really able to do that. So what they do is they simply show up and then they don't participate in practice. And that's exactly what TJ Watt has been doing. The main issue surrounding these contract negotiations is that the Steelers in their practice um, and in this particular negotiation will not guarantee money beyond the first year. And the reason is they don't want to set a new precedent. To me, this is idiotic. TJ Watt is probably among the top four defensive players in the league. Uh, I think for him, you make an exception. And this is really stupid. And it's getting to the point now where if they don't reach an agreement within the next 
frankly, by this evening or perhaps by tomorrow, that TJ Watt is going to miss the first game. And again, idiotic. I don't know why you would want to have that guy ever leave your franchise. You know, I think you could have guaranteed money for more than just one year. This is a guy who's not going to let you down. If he has injuries, so be it. I mean, that happens. Okay. I understand you want to protect yourself, but you also want to keep your, you know, you want to keep top players in the league in the building. So get it done, Pittsburgh. That's really stupid. Um, Brian O'Neill, the Minnesota right tackle, is now the second highest paid right tackle in the league. He actually signed a five year, $92.5 million extension. So congrats to him. Very impressive. Um, and uh, well deserved. He's sort of flown under the radar, but obviously $92.5 million demonstrates the team's belief in him, and he's become a very solid player. Uh, some COVID news, unfortunately. I don't want to get huge into COVID. This is something obviously that we have to talk about, uh, being that the pan the pandemic, the virus, unfortunately has not yet gone away. Um, I don't want to get into the reasons why. Nevertheless, um, in terms of players that appear to be unavailable for their teams for the week first week, Zach Martin from the Cowboys uh, has essentially been ruled out. He, I believe, was vaccinated, had a breakthrough infection, and was symptomatic. Uh, so unfortunately, he has not yet had the two negative test that you need in order to get reactivated, reinstated, whatever the appropriate term is. Uh, for the Dolphins, they actually have two players that uh, appear to be, that will be missing their first game, which are tight end Adam Shaheen. Uh, he's a backup tight end to Mike Kosicki. And then their starting left tackle, Austin Jackson. So th that's definitely uh, two big blows for the Dolphins as they head into their week one matchup. So, while we had while we this upcoming week is the first week in the NFL, we also had this past week the first weekend of college football, and it was a tremendous weekend. In terms of the Big Ten, there were some really important games and some very impressive performances. Uh, I think probably the two most impressive performances. First, Penn State went into Madison and beat Wisconsin 16 to 10. I think this really sets them up as the number two team in the Big Ten East. Obviously, at some point, going to have to face Ohio State. Got to beat them. That just is, you know, that's just how it goes. But the way that they played Wisconsin, particularly from a defensive standpoint, was very impressive. Then Iowa, uh, you know, playing Indiana and trouncing them 34 to 6. I thought it was going to be a very close game, you know, uh, toss ups, one of the teams winning by seven points or under, but Iowa was not having any of that and looked very formidable uh, in that Big Ten West, and particularly with Wisconsin already having uh, suffered a in-conference loss that looked really good. Uh, Maryland looked really good in their win over West Virginia, 30-24, to particularly their quarterback, Talia Tagovailoa, the younger brother of Tua, looked very impressive. Uh, speaking of impressive, Kenneth Walker for Michigan State, ran absolutely wild uh, as Michigan State beat Northwestern 38-21 at Ryan Field in Evanston. Uh, Walker ran for 23 carries, 264 yards, and four touchdowns. That's longer than I typically drive. So that is really impressive. Um, two teams that, you know, two big names, two blue bloods, I guess you could say, that are trying to figure themselves out. Um put up good wins during the weekend. Michigan blitzed West, Western Michigan. Nebraska beat the Rams of Fordham. Uh, Purdue beat a Pac-12 team in Oregon State. 
that unfortunately, though, Illinois did lose to Texas San Antonio, the Roadrunners of Texas San Antonio, which is definitely disappointing considering they're coming off the high of their season opener win during week zero over Nebraska. Uh, and then lastly, the FBS team that has scored the most points so far this season uh, is your Rutgers Scarlet Knights, who beat Temple 61-14. to They're the only team this past weekend to put up more than 60 points. And in doing so, you know, I thought it was a very typical Greg Schiano-led performance, uh, you know, particularly by the defense, the special teams, um, you know, from the offensive perspective, I think the offensive line needs to play a little better. You know, we still have worries about the quarterback and his arm strength. Uh, receivers should probably get a little bit more open. Offensive line, if they do better, the running backs, particularly Isaiah Pacheco, will be uh, able to capitalize on that. But nevertheless, a good first win. They now, uh, actually I'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, in terms of next week, but they'll be traveling to Syracuse. Uh, additionally, uh, Rutgers had, uh, and I've we've discussed this actually in the past few weeks, Rutgers has had uh, a tremendous start to their 2022 recruiting class, and it was highlighted by the commitment of Owensboro Kentucky quarterback Gavin Wimsat, a four-star quarterback who considered one of the best in the nation. He actually now becomes the second quarterback uh, in college football history to forego his entire senior year as he signed a six-figure NIL deal and enrolled at Rutgers this past Sunday. So now Gavin Wimsett, who on Thursday played a high school game, who then informed his team that he had sufficiently passed all the necessary coursework to graduate from high school, is now uh, a member of, the, of Rutgers University, and he's a Scarlet Knight. Uh, I, I obviously at first, it, literally, he needs to go through the acclimatization uh, process, which will take several days. Who knows if he will actually even travel with the team for their upcoming game this weekend? He has all the talent in the world. Um, I would suspect that you would want to develop him and you know, maybe get him in the last four games of the season a little bit, maybe develop a package for him. But I don't know if you necessarily want to blow the freshman year eligibility, and plus, you know, look, he still he, – he's technically a senior in high school, right? This is a young kid who is now moving away from home, moving into a dorm, all these things. It's, you know, and he, he needs to physically mature. I'm, I'm incredibly excited for the future with him. It really is going to be interesting to see how the Rutgers coaching staff handles this new arrival. But fortunately, the nice thing is he didn't decommit, and he is – uh, he is there. He is a Rutgers Scarlet Knight. Uh, around the NCAA, more you know, beyond the Big Ten, uh, once again, Alabama just absolutely dominant, destroyed Miami 44 to 13. Frankly, they shut it down at halftime and it wasn't even close. They they could have scored 60 if they wanted to. They looked tremendous. Uh, Georgia beat Clemson in the high profile matchup of the First week, it was a 10-3 to victory for Georgia, who actually did not even score an offensive touchdown. Their lone touchdown came via pick six. The one thing I didn't like about the game, I would have loved if the game either took place at Georgia or at Clemson. The fact that it took place, Bank of America Stadium is fine in Charlotte, but to me, I just I hate neutral site games, particularly in the beginning of a season. I, you know, the, the, the great thing about – 
college football, the traditions of each, the unique traditions of each team, uh, and, and Georgia, um, you know, between the hedges, uh, Clemson, you know, Death Valley, Howard's Rock, you can't beat that. And to me, I would have much preferred to see the game at one of those sites as compared with a neutral site. Nevertheless, great game. Really enjoyed it. Loved watching that Georgia defensive line. Jordan Davis, who I thought could have been a first rounder last year, elected to stay in school, looked dominant. 6'5, 350 pounds, supposedly runs a sub 540. Uh, really looked as if he improved his pass rushing skills. Very much excited to see him as he moves forward. Georgia looks like the second best team in the nation. Oklahoma, one of the top teams in the nation, survived a, a scare against Tulane. Got up early. Tulane came back. Oklahoma eventually did, uh, you know, put them away, but only one by five points was forty to thirty-five. Uh, the week could definitely be characterized as a struggle for the ACC. Obviously, Clemson lost. Um, the offensive line looked to be a massive problem. Number 10, UNC, though they lost to an in-conference team, Virginia Tech. Uh, it was great to see the Enter Sandman entrance uh, Friday evening. But Sam Howell struggled mightily, who is a was a preseason Heisman, Heisman favorite for the Tar Heels. And then Duke lost to UNC Charlotte, which is a bad look. Um, some other things of note this week, the Sissy Blue Shirts defeated LSU 38-27. For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, LSU traveled to Pasadena to take on the UCLA Bruins as Coach Orgeron for LSU was entering the stadium. I guess some UCLA fan was talking trash and in his unique uh, Cajun drawl said that he was going to, that his team was going to beat up on the guys with the sissy blue shirts. Um, and UCLA ran with it. And even if you, I think if you go to their Instagram account homepage, they like refer to themselves as the sissy blue shirts. Uh, meanwhile, you know, UCLA now two and O and chip Kelly's team is playing very well. Ran, they ran all over LSU had two separate running backs with over 100 yards and looked very impressive. Um, in terms of impressive and inspiring uh, Monday evening, or excuse me, Sunday night, we had the Notre Dame-Florida State game. Notre Dame eventually beat Florida State in overtime. But in the fourth quarter, uh, backup quarterback for Florida State, Mackenzie Milton, came on the uh, field and really started to um, allow the Florida State offense to matriculate down the field, as Hank Stram would say. Mackenzie Milton, for those that may remember, was the starting quarterback for UCF and suffered a catastrophic knee injury. Probably the closest thing to, you know, the Alex Smith situation. There was vascular issues. There was nerve issues, literally to the point where his, there were several several surgeon surgery teams that operated on him, you know, on multiple occasions. One of the main surgeons actually came to the game because he needed to see for his own eyes what he claimed was a medical miracle and the fact that Mackenzie Milton was able to recuperate in the manner he did. So even though Florida State lost, credit to Mackenzie Milton for coming back. Um, someone who does not appear to be coming back for the rest of this season is Mo Ibrahim. Talked about him in the last episode, had a tremendous outing against Ohio State. 
in their first game, but unfortunately he sustained what they're calling a lower body injury. To me, it looked like a torn Achilles looked exactly like what happened to Kevin Durant when he was with golden state in the finals. Oh, it looked like the calf snapped, but it was the Achilles tendon really um, got to feel bad for him. Mo Ibrahim, very talented running back for uh, Minnesota. I'm hoping for a full uh, and speedy and full recovery for him. Now on to week two, the big uh, 10 schedule. As I mentioned, Rutgers is traveling up to Syracuse, the Carrier Dome. It's a place that Mike and I actually went uh, to go see a game back in the fall of 2009. Very, I got to say, one of the loudest places I've ever been to. And that game, the stadium was half empty. So very cool place. It was interesting, at least at the time, there was no air conditioning, even though it was the Carrier Dome. Again, really enjoyed it, though, um, and, yeah, it should be very interesting. I have to figure out how I'm going to be able to watch the game, being that Comcast <clears throat> does not offer the ACC network. I'm looking into various options. Either way, it's going to be difficult. Uh, Illinois will be traveling to Scott Stadium uh, to take on the Virginia uh, Cavaliers. Oregon is coming to Ohio State. That game is at 12. Uh, is, that game is at noon. Youngstown State's going to travel to Michigan State. Uh, go Penguins. Miami of Ohio will be going to Minnesota. The Sycamores of Indiana State are going to be playing Northwestern. Purdue is playing uh, at UConn. And I know for those, again, that have listened to previous episodes, you'll know the distaste that both Mike and I have for the UConn football program. Now, I will say one of my teammates, uh, my dear teammates from high school, Terry Halise, actually got a full ride to play at UConn. Incredibly proud of him. And it's with all due respect to him. But when Mike and I, after my teammate had graduated, Mike and I attended a game. Actually, it was that same year. It was the fall of 2009. Um, no, actually, that was in 2011. Excuse me. We went to a game in 2011. And literally, there were UConn fans spitting on the Rutgers fans in the Rutgers away section. So that's why Mike and I, particularly Mike, were very passionate about uh, our disdain for the UConn program, which seems to be in complete and utter freefall, losing, getting blown out by Fresno State this week in their home opener, losing to uh, FCS Holy Cross. And now Randy Edsel had announced that he would be retiring at the end of the season. The athletic director said, well, you know, we will be honoring your contract, but you're actually your duties as the football coach are relieved effective immediately. We expect you to stay on as an advisor for the transition. So Randy Edsel is out. The UConn football team continues in its free fall. Picking up where we left off, Ball State will be traveling to Penn State. Buffalo will be going to Nebraska. Eastern Michigan is taking on Wisconsin at Camp Randall as Wisconsin looks to bounce back from the Penn State loss. The Vandals of Idaho will be going traveling to Indiana. The Bison of Howard will be going to play Maryland. It's kind of a close game geographically. Then a game which people initially thought would be a big matchup, the Washington Huskies, who last week were ranked, are traveling to Michigan, and this is the 8 o'clock game. More on that in a minute. Washington, and they have one of the more, they have one of the loudest stadiums, one of the best home field advantages in the nation. And last week were ranked 20th, I believe, and lost to the Montana Grizzlies. This was the first 
loss of a FBS top 25 team to an FCS team in the last five years. So it was really a bad loss. Um, and this game is at eight o'clock on ABC. And the main, uh, the best game within the Big Ten Conference and within all of college football is actually Iowa at Iowa State, which is at 430. This is what I can't stand. I wish there was more of an ability to flex games um, on in the at the college football level. Iowa Iowa State is clearly the best game next week. It's where college game day is going to be. They're going to be at Ames Iowa, and this game is not. This is where Kirk Herbstreit is going to be calling this game. Yet it's not the eight o'clock game. We have to watch Washington and Michigan at night, and Iowa Iowa State's at four thirty. To me, I, I just wish there were they had more there was more flexibility with respect to the schedule. I think this is what's really happened the last few years with respect to Saturday night games is they're locked in to certain teams that end up underperforming or having bad losses at some point. And the games Saturday night are not as important as some of the other games. You can't be I owe Iowa State a natural rivalry. Even though they're in different conferences, they're both playing the high level. I think this is the first time they're both ranked inside the top ten. They're both in the new AP poll. I believe they're ten and nine. This is this is great football. This is great drama, and it's at four thirty. To me, it just would be more special and more accessible to everyone if it was on later during the day. So that's me ranting and complaining. Nevertheless, very much looking forward to that matchup. I like how Iowa's playing. I always had I always liked the Iowa State Cyclones. I love Troy Davis, who was a player who rushed for back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons back in the early 90s. Was just randomly a fan. Then they had said the year where they were quite good with Seneca Wallace. Um, Iowa State played Northern Iowa last week. Didn't play well. You could make the argument maybe they were looking past them, looking to the Iowa game. But got to tell you, I really just think Iowa's playing on all cylinders. We shall see. Uh, I'm either way. I'm hoping for a good game. Um, so, a, as I mentioned, this Saturday uh, will be the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, and I just, I just thought it would be almost inappropriate for me not to say something about it. Um, particularly, you know, my my co-host, my buddy Mike, yeah, a firefighter, and you know. I guess just a, my recollections of the day. I was actually, I didn't go straight to college. I actually did a postgraduate year. Uh, I was at the Lawrenceville School in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, and I uh, just got back from one class. And the first plane had already hit. I saw the second plane hit live on TV. Uh, tragically, someone had asked one of my um, classmates, someone, someone I didn't really know very well. And they asked her like, Oh, doesn't your father work in the towers? And he said, yeah, uh, but he's not there today. Uh, tragically, his father was there that day and lost his life. Um, the headmaster then brought everyone together and actually, and now he got his information wrong because in addition, obviously there were the two planes that hit the towers. There was the plane that hit the Pentagon there was the United 93 that crashed in Pennsylvania. He also announced that a plane hit the Capitol building. So obviously, you know, it was a hectic time. People were getting information wrong. So people were really starting to panic and whatnot. Um, I remember then, uh, strangely, that day we were practicing. It was the Tuesday before our first game against the Petty School. 
And I remember sitting, you know, standing around the field with a few of my teammates, like, what, why are we practicing right now? Just, it's just, there are things a little bit more important. And, um, you know, it was just an incredibly sad time. A few weeks later, um, with my father, with, um, my father's best friend who I consider my uncle and with another one of my best friends, Greg, we actually had went to the first New York giant home game after nine 11, the field was lined uh, with members of the uh, FDNY NYPD, the port authority police. I, you couldn't help but cry. Uh, and it was just such an emotional time. And I, I will also say the other freaky thing about it was for those that will, for those that particularly had attended games at the old Giant Stadium, everyone probably knows that Teterboro Airport is just to the north of the Meadowlands. But particularly in the way in which the old Giant Stadium was situated, there was one route where planes would come to land at Teterboro where they would literally fly over the stadium. And it was such a sad state of affairs that when every plane was traveling, now they were still, they were thousands of feet above the stadium, right? It was never a quote-unquote close call. I remember ducking as the, as the planes were flying by. Um, you know, it just, you know, just a tragic event. And perhaps the, the morbid side of me, I, I'm someone who watches documentaries on 9-11 every year. I... I don't know why I've um, I just always have felt that it's important to remember. And just, you know, there every year you hear new stories of acts of, of heroism uh, that people uh, perform that day, whether in the towers, whether in the Pentagon, the, the people uh, during United Flight 93, and I'm sure that there were even more heroes in the plane, in the flights uh, that hit the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. It's just terrible, and my heart goes out to all those affected, uh, their families, uh, you know, whether because they suffered a loss or because of injury. Um, and also, you know, I have to say, you watch these documentaries, I'm watching one, uh, a new one that comes out at this this past week, and you know, particularly the first responders. And look, I know that from a societal perspective, we have, you know, things have evolved, uh, and and there's been other things that have gone on in the past twenty years. And I'm not there, there's definitely a time to discuss that. Uh, this is not it. I, I just have to say, particularly, you watch these documentaries of the firefighters and. You know, they have a lot of them probably went up those stairwells knowing that they weren't ever going to come back. And I I marvel at the type of human being that does that. And I, I'm not going to say I'm mad enough to admit. I, I don't think I'm that kind of human being. Now, you know, thank God I've never been in that kind of situation. But it really shows you that there are heroes and angels among us. Um and I really just marvel at the kind of human beings uh, that saved lives that day. And our lives, all of us, uh, forever changed that day. And, um, you know, it obviously affected football and, and, you know, the season was, was delayed and things of that nature. But I think it's important that we never forget because you don't want to allow the people who 
um, tragically perish to, for their memories to, uh, or for their lives, their souls to be forgotten. Um, so there's that. Um, I hope that that was eloquent enough. I'm sure I probably fumbled along the way. It's just a difficult topic to talk about. Now, I guess on to some brighter things. Um, unless I guess you're a giant or Eagle fan, which is uh, my 2021 NFL preview. So the way I figured I would do this is to quickly just run down each division, what each team's records were. I'm also going to compare it with what DraftKings Sportsbook uh, had as the over-under for their win- each team's win total. Then I'm going to go through the playoff seedings, then the wild card round, divisional round, championship game, and then Super Bowl 56. Uh, so without further ado, let's start in the AFC West. I have Kansas City winning the division uh, with a record of 14-3. and DraftKings has the over-under win total of 12.5, so obviously I'm, I'm taking the over. Look, I, I just think, the, you know, particularly the way they lost that Super Bowl, Andy Reid said to himself, I'm never again going to be struggling along the offensive line. And they devoted great energies and resources into fortifying that offensive line. It is no longer going to be a problem. I think they're going to rely a little bit more on the run game this season, which is going to help them out. And, you know, you have this guy named Patrick Mahomes. So that is, you know, a recipe for a very successful team, particularly in the regular season. I think their fatal flaw will be their defense. More on that when we get to the playoffs. Um, you know, I think there are two teams in this division that are trending upwards, that being the Los Angeles Chargers and the Denver Broncos. I have both teams finishing at with a record of 10 and 7. The LA Chargers have an over-under of 9.5 wins, Denver at 8.5. So obviously I took the over for both of them. Um, with the Chargers, look, I, I'm I love Justin Herbert's game. I, you know, they were able with you know, sort of their wide receivers may not necessarily be the biggest names aside from Keenan Allen, but with Justin Herbert, super talented. Uh, the offensive line is coming along. They outed Rashawn Slater. You have a good running back with Austin Eckler. Look, if Derwin James can be healthy, if Joey Bosa can be healthy, you have some really talented pieces on that defense. And again, a young team. So uh, to me, 10 and 7. I'll talk about the playoffs in a little bit, but this is a team that's trending upwards. And I, I honestly think that this is the start of a good run for the Chargers. Similar with Denver, you know, the, the, the difference being that I don't know if they yet have their quote unquote guy at quarterback. That obviously Vic Fangio opted to start Teddy Bridgewater as opposed to Drew Locke. I think you're getting more of the consistent play as opposed to the hot, the peaks and the valleys, but you have a emerging offensive line. You have super talented receivers, a very good two-headed monster running back with Melvin Gordon and rookie Javante Williams. Defensively, you have a tremendous pass rush with Von Miller, Bradley Chubb. Your defensive backfield, super talented. So again, this is a well-rounded team. You, if you can get after the quarterback and you can run the ball, you're going to be a successful team. So, again, I think this is a team trending upwards. I think the only thing that might stunt their development is if Teddy, Bridge, Teddy Bridgewater can't, you know, make certain throws, at some, at some point he's going to have to win a game or two. 
And we're going to see if he has the ability to do that. And also, in the long term, who is going to be the long-term answer for Denver? I think that's the big question. But nevertheless, for this year, I have him at 10 and 7. <clears throat> Lastly, I have Las Vegas, the, the Raiders. I have them going 4 and 13. The DraftKings Sportsbook, the over-under is 7. Um, frankly, you know, when doing this, sometimes, you, you, you know, you're picking the wins and losses, and suddenly you look at a record, you're like, whoa, that's a bad record. That kind of happened here with the Raiders. I frankly could see them winning a few more games. There's components to this team I like. I think, Frank, the biggest issue I have is with management and coaching. I'm not a believer in Mike Mayock as a general manager, nor am I a believer in John Gruden as a head coach. I, I always thought of him as um, an overrated coach. And particularly in this second stint, I not that the game has passed him by. I just, you know, I, I don't really think he necessarily has an eye for talent. And it look, it's clear he has a huge part in constructing this team. I, I think there's been a lot of missteps. They had a strong offensive line. They essentially replaced everyone. Um, Derek Carr is decent. He's not great. I do like Josh Jacobs. I do like their receiving core. Defensively, they just have yet to figure it out. Um, you know, I mean, think about it. they had a fourth pick of the draft that they've spent on Cleveland Farrell. It just did not it did not work out. There are other players they could have drafted instead who've been far more impactful in the league. So defensively, I think that they are not capable of stopping the Kansas City Chiefs, the LA Chargers, even the Denver Broncos. So because of that, I have been four and thirteen and probably going to be Mike Mayock's last year. So, on to the AFC South. <clears throat> this is, um, to me, a two-team race with two teams where, you know, I, I have no faith in any, anything they're doing. Ultimately, I have as the winner the Tennessee Titans. They're over-unders at nine. Obviously, it took the over. Um, look, I still, even though they have a new offensive coordinator, I like the physicality on offense. I think they're you know, very talented offensive line. Actually, think it's going to be better than last year. Uh, I think ultimately Dylan Raddins will step in and be an upgrade at right tackle. You have Derrick Henry, the ultimate tone setter. You have Ryan Tannehill, who might be the most underrated and underappreciated quarterback in the league. Then you brought Julio Jones, who is a massive upgrade over Corey Davis. And I think really it's going to – not that he's going to serve simply as a decoy, but it's really going to allow A.J. Brown to further blossom. Then defensively, I think you're going to see an improved defensive unit, not saying that they're going to be necessarily top five. I think the addition of Bud Dupree is big. Drafting Caleb Farley, and if he can stay healthy, will help in the secondary. You have Jack Rabbit Jenkins. I believe that he has actually changed his name legally to Jack Rabbit. That is what I heard. Uh, look, uh, Guy's got some issues, nevertheless, still a very good ball player. Um, so, again, I think defensively I, they're going to be better. Um, you know, tie that into a very good run game. Play action pass with you have Julio Jones, future Hall of Famer, A.J. Brown, an emerging star. I like the makeup of that team. Uh, in second place, I have the Indianapolis Colts going 10-7. and seven. Their over-under was 9. Look, the Colts um, – Love the offensive line. Love the running game. I think defensively, there's some good players. There's some speed. Obviously, you got to love Darius Leonard at linebacker. 
Uh, big question is going to be, can Frank Reich uh, bring Carson Wentz back, whether it is, you know, to the level he played at during the 2017 season, the, the Eagles Super Bowl season prior to his injury, or even, you know, look, if you can get him to play the 2019 level, I think that, that they're a team that could make some noise, not only in this division, but even in the playoffs. Um, I think that he's going to get at least Carson Wentz to be competent and, and better than he was last year. I don't know if he's going to bring him all the way back to a pro bowl, all pro level. Uh, also, look, you have to take into account the fact that you have a quarterback who refuses to get vaccinated. So anytime he is within any bit of contact with within six feet of anyone who has COVID, he's out five days. That is, that is a serious concern. Uh, you know, they're, they're similar concern, Minnesota. Uh, so there's also that issue. Next, we have the two teams where, I mean, whether dysfunction or just a, 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 another guy I don't believe in, you know, uh, these are the two, two, two of the worst teams I believe in the NFL. I have the Houston Texans going three and 13. The DraftKings Sportsbook has the over-under at four, so I took the under there. Um, you know, I believe Jack Easterby is, you know, a snake oil salesman, and th this entire front office is just, it, you know, it's a train without a conductor. It's it, The whole thing is, is screwed up. You have Deshaun Watson that saga going on i mean he's literally you're gonna have this amazing player who is also under investigation and everything else uh inactive for 17 games you've added like 35 free agents this offseason you're trading away pieces it, it's clear that you're trying to just build for the future and i understand that even uh Today, I believe they traded away Bradley Roby, who was going to start a cornerback uh, to the New Orleans Saints. It, look, it's going to be uh, very minimal um, production on the field, but uh, I do believe that they are better than the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I have at 2-15. and 15. Their over-under, frankly, was higher. It was at 6.5. I believe in Trevor Lawrence. I believe in his talent. I think he's going to be good. I think that the offensive line is a work in progress. I like James Robinson at running back. Um, don't love the defense, and I don't believe in your head coach. I thought he completely mismanaged Trevor Lawrence's first ever training camp and having him in a quote-unquote competition with the 80s porn star lookalike, Gardner Minshew. He should have never been splitting reps with Gardner Minshew. He should have been taking all the first-team reps from the beginning, um, I I just think that uh, Urban Meyer's in over his head. He can't simply just go out and recruit all the best players. And you know, look, Urban Meyer, you know, for the fact that you know, look, he did turn around or you know was successful at several programs. Also ran some dirty programs. Um, I, I think there were key games where you saw that he was not the best game play. He wasn't the best game caller. I think back to the, um, I guess this was the 2015 season, the season after Ohio State had won. This team literally had like six players drafted in the top 20. And, you know, they lost to Michigan State at home um, with Michigan State having a backup quarterback because he wouldn't run the ball with Ezekiel Elliott. It just made no sense. 
I just I'm I'm not an Urban Meyer guy, and for that reason, I have him at two and fifteen. I I think it's a colossal mistake on the part of the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, it was kind of a splashy kind of, of move, just but I, to me, some you know, it's more sizzle without the uh, the steak kind of thing. So on to the AFC North, which I believe is the second most talented division in the league. Uh, I have the Cleveland Browns winning the division at 13 and four. DraftKings had their over under a 10 and a half. I just, I think if you look at every positional group, there's talent, there's depth. They have got, they've, they've drafted very well. I, I don't think Baker Mayfield is a top five quarterback, but I think that he is competitive enough and talented enough to get this team to win this division and to make some noise in the playoffs. Love the offensive line. Best to uh, best running back room in the league. You know, I think one of the more interesting components of the team will be how does Odo Beckham fit in with this team? It's clear that so far Baker Mayfield has played better when Beckham is not on the field. But look, Beckham is still a supreme talent, I think. You got to just figure that out. But defensively, the addition of Jadavian Clowney, I think, will uh, pay dividends, particularly against the run, which is, I think, frankly, more of Cleveland's issue. Uh, I'm really excited to see Jeremiah Wusu koromoa the second-round pick. I think he probably is going to be more impactful than their first-round pick, who's cornerback Greg Newsom, who's also going to be very good. Just a super well-rounded team that I really like and I think has the right ingredients to play good football in the late season. So more on that a little bit later. Second place, I have Baltimore Ravens at 11 and six. I will say I did do this, this whole exercise prior to finding out that justice Hill had been going for the season. That to me is very concerning. I don't know. It may have had an effect. This, it may have changed how I picked, a lot of these games, but nevertheless, this is how I have it. So their over-under is actually at 11, so I, I frankly didn't take the over or under. I have them at 11 and 6. Um, look, Lamar Jackson is still a supreme talent. They have you know, good talent along the offensive line. They were able to sign Alejandro Villanueva to replace Orlando Brown. You're getting back Ronnie Stanley from injury. Uh, defensively, still talented. They lost Matthew Judon, but they did draft Odafe Owe to replace him you're going to miss out the running backs is obviously what's concerning and you need to have lamar jackson take the next step with respect to his ability to pass to receivers in the outside passing game uh, they have rashad bateman who is still injured but he's going to be coming back They're very high on him you still have a lot of other younger players um you know marquise hollywood brown um, a few others miles boykin uh, and We'll see how where that takes them, but obviously it's still a very effective running game. They brought in Kevin Zeitler from the Giants. So still a physical team, a lot of good leadership. You know, you have a guy like Calais Campbell. I, I still like the Marlon Humphrey in the defensive backfield. I still like them a lot. So that's why I have an eleven and six. Third place, I have the Pittsburgh Steelers at ten and seven. Uh, their over-under is at eight and a half. Obviously, took the over. I think this is a team that is still going to be driven by their defense. 
Obviously, they lost Bud Dupree, but I think they have several players who are going to replace him. Alex Highsmith, the I believe he was a third or fourth round pick last year out of UNC Charlotte, and is going to be one of the primary guys who's going to be rushing, hopefully with TJ Watt uh, on behalf of Steelers fans. Again, I, I don't understand why that contract has not been taken care of yet. Nevertheless, this is um, what I think is it, it's a, a great defense. Cameron Hayward, you've, you know, Stefan to it in the um, defensive backfield, Minka Fitzpatrick, super talented. This is, I think, Ben Roethlisberger's swan song, but the addition of Najee Harris is going to be really big. Take some of the pressure off of Ben Roethlisberger because last year, when that team's game, when, when they're when they the team went off the tr- the tracks, right, and sort of hit the wall, there was no running game. And Najee Harris is super talented and is actually going to be able to help out in the pass game as well with respect to both blocking. He's a very good route runner. I like Chase Claypool a lot. Let's see what Juju Smith Schuster brings. He's actually on a you know a contract year, being that he only signed a one year deal. So I, I still think it's a very competitive team. Just, I think there's a few flaws. I'm a little worried about that offensive line. Lastly, we have Cincinnati. I have them going three and fourteen. They're over under six and a half wins. I took the under. Um, very worried about that offensive line and protecting all of these, you know, high level assets that they've acquired. Joe Burrow this year's first round pick, Jamar Chase, opening up running lanes for Joe Mixon. Defensively, I think they're going to be decent. I mean, you know, I like the mix of Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard rushing off the edge. I think the defensive interior, not quite what it used to be. Look, they're still they're still building, right? I think that they need to add a little more beef in the next few years. You know, their second round pick, Jackson Carmen, who's a guy that Mike aptly uh, mentioned in our AFC North preview the reports already showed up out of shape for training camp and is didn't wasn't was unable to nail down a spot a starting spot. That's a bad sign. That's a bad look. And you know for those reasons, Cincinnati's still in rebuilding. Uh, so I see them going three and fourteen. Lastly, in the AFC, we have the AFC East. I have the Buffalo Bills winning the division at thirteen and four. Their over under was eleven. I took the over. Uh, look, just. Supremely talented, Josh Allen, an emerging star quarterback. They have uh, Stephon Diggs, one of the best wide receivers in the game, brought over Emmanuel Sanders, who I think probably is an upgrade over John Brown, despite being, you know, in the latter stages of his career. A solid offensive line, very a, a young and talented defensive line, which is something that I think. Um, you know, they have some younger guys like uh, Gregory Rousseau, who had a very nice preseason, going to be able to get after the passer uh, a little bit more effectively. Uh, they have one of the best corners in the league in Tredavious White. I think the secondary definitely needs to step up a little bit, but this is a very good team, uh, a team now that also has playoff experience, which is invaluable. They know how to win. They've experienced that. They, they learned how to win. So now they're ready to take a next step. More on that in a little bit. But, you know, suffice it to say right now, I have them as the AFC East champions. In second place in the AFC East, I have the New England Patriots. They're, I have them going 9-8. and eight. Their over-under is 9.5 wins, so I have them actually with the under. Look, it was clear that after Tom Brady and a few years with some ineffective drafting, they had to infuse uh, 
talent in this roster. And they went on an unprecedented spending spree. They also brought back, they were able to get back a lot of players. Remember, they led the league in COVID opt-outs last year. So I think the defense will be improved. I think Mac Jones is a good player. I don't know if he is the Messiah. I am not as high on him as some. Apparently, Drew Brees thinks he's easily going to be the offensive rookie of the year. Look, I think it's very telling. You know, we didn't discuss this last week. Just that the news came out since then. Uh, apparently, Mac Jones was teaching Cam Newton the playbook. That's a really bad sign. I have no issue with going with Mac Jones now, but I just don't necessarily. I think that you need to temper the expectations. I think that New England is going to be improved, but I still think Buffalo is the class of the division. So that's why I have New England going nine and eight. I have in third place, my, the Miami Dolphins going eight and nine. They're over under being nine and a half. So I took the under. Um, I'm still not sold on two attack of Iloa. I know he's going to be healthier. I know this is his second year in the system. I thought it was very telling that uh, Miami apparently selected nine captains. That's a lot of captains, by the way. Like, even like, I, I think the Giants have seven. Like, what happened to – I loved back when I was a little boy when the Giants won Super Bowl twenty one. Uh, you know, there's the famous image even in the NFC Championship game and then when they went to Super Bowl twenty one, They had one captain, Harry Carson. Why do you need seven captains? Nine captains. But nevertheless, if you had nine captains and your quarterback isn't one of them, I don't know. There's just something about that doesn't sit well with me. Um, and I, I think that Miami, I, I love their coach, love Brian Flores. I think they overachieved last year. I think that they have a good defensive unit, but particularly when a unit relies upon leading the league in takeaways, I always think that the following year they sometimes come back to the pack a little bit. Uh, that happened many years back with the Giants. I believe it was like 1997. They led the league in takeaways. If you suddenly, you know, take, you know, remove 10 interceptions and three fumble recoveries, well, these are different games now. And, you, you know, you're going to lose some of those close ones as opposed to winning. And, again, not necessarily sold on Tua. So, for those reasons, I have an 8-9. Lastly, I had the New York Jets at 4-13. and uh, Their over-under is six wins. I could easily see them winning six or more. I got to tell you, even though, you know, Jet fan could be listening to this and say, oh, four and 13, that doesn't really sound great. I am very bullish on the direction of the Jets. I thought it was a very good draft. I'm high on Zach Wilson. I like the addition of Elijah Vera Tucker. Supposedly, Mekhi Becton did not have a great preseason, but I still am a believer in his game overall. The Carl Lawson injury was really, uh, you know, that was, that was a tough blow. Um, to that, you know, because they really need to develop a pass rush. I think they're very stout against the run. They have some major deficiencies in their back end, particularly at the cornerback position, uh, with a lot of young, unproven cornerbacks who I think could get eaten up both in the division as well as you know throughout the rest of their games. But again, I like I like the GM, I like the coach, I like the quarterback. I think they're going in the right direction. Again, they're just young. And look, so if you're not going to win the division, I'd rather go 4-13 and get another, you know, top pick. So there's that. Uh, but, yeah, so Jets 4-13 and uh, rounding out the, the bottom for the AFC East. Now on to the NFC. We'll start with the NFC West, which I believe is the best division in the entire NFL. 
I have the NFC West champions being the Los Angeles Rams. I have them going 12 and 5. The over under is 10 and a half wins. Took the over. Uh, I really like the Matthew Stafford edition. Um, I think that you're really now going to finally see the genius of Sean McVay. Uh, I think that his ability to stretch the field more so than Jared Goff is going to be evident. I think that offensive line is competent enough to keep him upright. And I'm excited to see Stafford kind of just ball out. You know, this is a guy who has been tremendously talented, but always hampered by, you know, very uh, teams bereft of talent in Detroit. Now he's got a lot of toys to play with. Cooper Cup, uh, Robert Woods, Van Jefferson, Tutu Atwell, Tyler Higby. Um, Obviously, the key is going to be particularly with the Cam Akers injury, what are they going to do with the running game? I really like the Sony Michelle trade. I think that, you know, him, Daryl Henderson, I think it'll be effective enough to get the job done. Defensively, they have, uh, you know, I believe the best defensive player in this past 20 years in Aaron Donald. Um, so it's a top five defense. Jalen Ramsey, one of the best cornerbacks in the league. It's a nasty defense that gets after it. Uh, I think they will miss out on their defensive coordinator, Brendan Studley, who is now the coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. But I think that they will still be successful. And um, I, I, you know, we'll talk about them more when we discuss the playoffs. Second place, um, I have the Arizona Cardinals going 11 and six, over under eight and a half. I just, you, know, you look at this roster and it's filled with young, talented players. They are supremely athletic. Uh, I believe, you know, with Chandler Jones coming back, the addition of J.J. Watt, you're going to have a stifling pass rush. You know, you have Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons, these ultimate chess pieces at linebacker, uh, a talented secondary led by Buda Baker. Kyler Murray, another year in the offensive system. Uh, Good running backs. You brought over A.J. Green, who – if healthy, can sort of solidify that wide receiver room. Just very bullish on the Cardinals. Uh, just very interesting team who I think is going to play fast and surprise a lot of people. Um, in third place, I had the Seattle Seahawks at 11 and 6. Uh, they had an, <coughs> excuse me, an over under of 10, 10 wins. So I took the over. Still love Russell Wilson. I uh, love DK Metcalf. Defensively, I think there's some holes, but Jamal Adams is a great piece to employ as, you know, and he's just sort of his own unique position. Then you have, you know, Carlos Dunlap. I think the offensive line is a little healthier. The addition of Gabe Jackson will help them as with respect to establishing the run game with Chris Carson, Rashad Penny. So I, I still think that they're a very talented team. And, you know, look, I have them at 11 and six, as well as the Arizona Cardinals and only one game off from the LA Rams shows you what I think of the Seattle Seahawks. And lastly, I have the San Francisco 49ers. I have them going 11 and six as well. So I have all four teams winning at least 11 games in this division. I also, if you look at it, it's based upon the fact of the divisions they play. It just works out in their favor. They're not the most competitive divisions. Um, that they're matched up with. So that's why I think there's inflated records there. So Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance, double-headed monster. I'm a little skeptical with that, but I do think if Jimmy Garoppolo goes down, you have now the future is now. 
with Trey Lance, you're going to have a very unique and advanced running game. You have a healthy and Nick Bosa, so you're going to have a healthy pass rush, very good offensive line. You have the good wide receivers. I just yeah, everywhere. This is the, this is very much resembles the team that went to the Super Bowl two years ago. So for those reasons, you know, I like them a lot. I am going eleven and six. On to the NFC South. I have the reigning Super Bowl champions, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, winning the division at thirteen and four. They're over under being uh, twelve wins, so I took the over. Look, they're returning every one of their starters. Their quarterback is the greatest of all time. They're laser focused. They're one hundred percent vaccination. They apparently are going to be instilling even more strict rules with respect to COVID protocols. And I say this only because I think it just shows how laser focused this team is about repeating. You know, the, the running game came on strong during the playoffs. The offensive line is very good. Tristan Wirfs played at an All Pro level. Bringing in Giovanni Bernard, I think, is only going to help out in the passing game. Defensively, you have, you know, the two-headed monster of um, Shaq Barrett and JPP. You have Vita Vea and Dominican Sue. Two, and they have two best uh, inside linebackers and Devin White and Levante David. Um, you know, that's a very talented secondary. This is just a very – this team does not have any – it doesn't have a hole. I really – I've yet to find it. Um Maybe a team will during the playoffs. Could be a little bit of foreshadowing there. But, you know, I, I think that they are going to ease, do very well this regular season and win the NFC South. Uh, in second place, I have the New Orleans Saints. Over-under was nine wins. I had the I took the under and have them at eight and nine. I think that the Jameis Winston experience is going to have its ups and downs. I think the fact that they're going to be on the road for the first month of the season is going to play a toll on them. This is unlike other years because you're still also dealing with COVID. It's just going to, you know, I, I think that this is going to cost them one or two games. You know, difference between eight and nine and 10 and seven could be a playoff berth. So, you know, I still think that they're very talented. I think right now, though, they're limited wide receiver. Michael Thomas is on the pup list, so he's not coming back till at minimum week six. So for that reason, I just I don't think the Saints are quite what they were, and I have them at eight and nine. Then I have uh, the Carolina Panthers at six and eleven. They're over under with seven and a half wins, so I took the under. I this is another team I like the direction they're going, even though man, that may not necessarily be reflected in the record. Um, I think Sam Darnold will do okay. I don't know if he will necessarily be the guy long-term, but I think he will do decently. Uh, it's obviously huge that they're getting back Christian McCaffrey. I like the wide receiver room with DJ Moore, Terrace Marshall. Uh, defensively, just a lot of young, uh, talented players. I think, though, they're still a year away from really gelling as a cohesive unit to the point where they're going to be able to take that next step and really push for a playoff spot. So to me, the youth is what's holding back this team. But again, I like the direction they're heading. Whereas the team in the bottom, the Atlanta Falcons, I do not like the, I, I couldn't stand their off season. Did not like it. Don't like the direction. I have them at three and 14. They're over and up. They're over under is seven and a half wins. I'm obviously taking the under the selection of Kyle Pitts to me, 
made no sense given that you then traded away Julio Jones. You're keeping Matt Ryan. Uh, to me, I think they should have went quarterback. Just it's time to start over. Um, you know, don't love the wide receiver room. Don't really love the running back room. I think offensively they're going to be limited. And Matt Ryan, though, I still think a competent quarterback, all he's really going to have is Kyle Pitts and uh, Calvin Ridley. That's about it. Uh, defensively, still trying to figure them out. Um, but talent-wise, not what they once were. You have some young pieces that, you know, I still think that they really don't have much of a pass rush. So it's going to be a problem. You can't run the ball. You can't get after the quarterback. That's a bad combo. So for those reasons, I have them going 3-14. and 14. Now, on to the NFC North. The I have the Green Bay Packers going 12-5, and five, being the division champions. Over-under going uh, for They had um, a set of 10 wins. I took the over. Look, you, had, you have Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks of all time, one of the best in the league. That makes a tremendous difference. You have uh, Aaron, Aaron Jones, uh, great running back, very good offensive line. A.J. Dillon, a good backup. Still think that the wide receiver room is a little bit limited, which will hold them back ultimately in the end uh, from winning a Super Bowl. Defensively, good pass rush. I like Kenny Clark in the middle. Jair Alexander is a great cornerback. Darnell Savage, an emerging talent at safety. Um, so a solid defense. You know, nothing necessarily to complain about. Uh, I just think that, again, lack of um, – you know, legitimate second and third wide receiver. Green Bay can hurt them. And, um, you know, I think the offensive line isn't quite what they were. I think miss uh, losing Corey Lindsley in free agency is going to actually, you know, I think that's going to hurt them down the road. So now on a second place, I have the Minnesota Vikings going nine and eight. Their over under uh, was eight and a half wins. So I took the over. Uh, you know, look, I like – I do worry about the quarterback being that he's not vaccinated, which then subjects him to other issues. I love the first two wide receivers they have. Love Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. Have one of the most talented running backs in the league. Offensive line, better than what it has been. I think the defense is going to rebound from last year, but I don't think it is going to return to – what it was when the Vikings made their run to the NFC championship game and ultimately got trounced by the Eagles. Um, but I do think it brings them back to a winning record, nine and eight, potentially in the playoffs. I'll let you know in a minute. Um, but again, decent season for the Vikings. Detroit, I have at four and 13. Their over under is four and a half. So I took the under. Uh, I think this is a team rebuilding. Not a huge fan of Jared Goff. Um, little worried about Penny Sewell during uh, preseason. He is definitely underperforming based upon the standards, based upon what I envisioned him to be. Defensively, I think they need to figure out their identity, but a lot of unproven talent or young talent. And, you know, wide receiver room is, you know, a lot of young guys are guys that really can't stay healthy, like a guy like Tyrell Williams. Defensive backfield, you have some players, but, you know, they got, or excuse me, um, and also their offensive backfield. So, four and 13, I, I just don't see an avenue for them to score or, you know, to win much more than that. Uh, then, lastly, I have the Chicago Bears at three and 14. They're over under, which is actually higher. It's at seven and a half. 
to me, this all comes down to I, I believe that the front office and the head coach are firmly, um, you know, under the belief that Andy Dalton is their quarterback this year, and they do not want to subject Justin Fields to the terrible offensive line that they have. Well, Andy Dalton, I think, is going to eventually get hurt because he's going to be a sitting duck, and Justin Fields is going to be running for his life. The defense is good. I think it, it it doesn't quite have the sting that it did a few years ago. They, Kalu Max getting, I think he's lost like maybe a half a step. You know, you still have Akeem Hicks, you have Eddie Goldman, you have Roquan Smith. Still, there's there's definitely talent there, but I think that they're going to be on the field a lot. They're going to be exhausted. It's going to be they're going to be the kind of team that is in it until about midway through the third, and then you're going to see teams fade, you know, sort of put it on them. Uh, and I have them going three and fourteen. Last but certainly not least, the NFC East. Um, I will start by saying I do not have any of these teams with a winning record. Uh, I have a three-way tie at the top, followed by one team who has one less win. So I think that they're all very closely matched. Uh, you know, but it, it's nevertheless an unimpressive division, to say the least. Uh, I hate to tell you, Giant and Eagle fans in particular, I have the Dallas, the, by virtue of tiebreakers, the Dallas Cowboys are going to be winning the division at 8-9. and nine. Their over-under is nine wins. I took the under. I, I'm not overly impressed. I think that, the, you know, the, one str- the, the, the main strength of this team used to be the offensive line. Uh, you know, obviously, you lost Travis Frederick. Lyle Collins coming back from injury, Zach Martin coming back from injury, now dealing with COVID, Tyron Smith, who's coming back from injury. These guys are not quite the same. I think Zeke Elliott will have a bounce-back season. You know, we don't know about the health of Dak Prescott. We have the issues regarding the ankle, issues regarding the shoulder. Um, good receivers uh, with respect to Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb. I think, um, you know, their tight end is decent. Then, but then the defense, I I don't, I'm not in love with it, but I do really like Micah Parsons. I think he can sort of patch up some of the issues they're going to have, particularly along the defensive line. Uh, but I think they're going to be able to put up a lot of points, which will get them to their eight wins. And, and it, in my simulation, I have them winning the NFC East. Second place, I have the Washington football team at eight and nine. They have their over-unders at eight and a half. I took the under. Uh, love the defensive line. Uh, I think that the linebackers got better, particularly with uh, Jameen Davis, their first-round pick. Secondary, not quite as great. You know, Landon Collins is not what he, he – he never continued on with, at the all-pro level that he had was at at 2016. You know, offensively, I think there's some good pieces. Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to cost them some games. I think, you know – he is going to be an improvement to Alex Smith, but he's also going to cost them games. And the offensive line is a question mark. So I worry are they going to be able to put up enough points, even though their defense will certainly um, keep their opponent's score to a minimum. Then I have the New York Giants going 8-9, and nine, over under at 7. Uh, I took the over simply because I, I do think that they are more talented than they were last year. They went 6-10 and 10 last year, so I simply just have to believe that they will improve on that. I'm not saying that they're a good team. I And they have serious, serious flaws at offensive line. I am 
I have to tell you, uh, earlier I said the Las Vegas Raiders was an issue to me. The set to me, this is the other record that I think could. This is a team. They're eight and nine. I could also easily see the bottom falling out and going four and thirteen, something of that nature, because of that offensive line. But to me, there is more talent on that team, whether because returning from injury, like a Saquon Barkley, or because of the draft or free agency, Kenny Galladay. Dory Jackson, Kadarius Tony, Aziz Ojolari. I think I gotta believe they have to be just slightly better than they were next last year. I, I don't obviously it's not enough to get them to the playoffs, but I think that they should be just slightly better than they were last year. Uh lastly, I had the Philadelphia Eagles going seven and ten, over under being six and a half. Look, you know, I'm I think Jalen Hurts will have his ups and downs, which is why I have him at seven and ten. You know, if he's fortunate, he's going to have a very good offensive line. I think the wide receivers will have uh, growing pains. I think Nick Sirianni, I, I would really like to see him use Miles Sanders as a true, you know, the real cowbell kind of running back. Because I think, I really think he's that talented. Uh, defensively, th- there are some very good players, but it's surrounded by question marks. And so it's like, you know, it's like you either have pro bowlers or you have guys who, frankly, don't deserve to be starting. You know, you worry about that linebacking core. You know, some of the cornerbacks, hopefully Darius Slay has a bounce-back season for the Eagles. Um, either way, I think that the Eagles have tremendous draft capital and will be in a better cap situation to change the team after this season. So I don't necessarily – I don't have as much faith in the front office and coaching staff as necessarily I did you know, when I was talking about the New York Jets. But because of the draft capital and the cap situation, I think that the Eagles fans should be bullish about the future. I would be more bullish about the future if I'm an Eagles fan as compared to the Giants, particularly if the Giants stay with Dave Gettleman. So there you have it with the NFC East. So now on to the playoff seedings. Um, AFC, one through seven. Kansas City home field advantage, followed by Buffalo, Cleveland, Tennessee, Baltimore, Indianapolis, and Pittsburgh. Believe me, these I, I literally had to get at one point with the tie-breaking procedure. I had to decide, well, which one of these teams, I forget which of the, I think it was between Buffalo and Cleveland. I had to decide which one would have a better strength of victory. So meaning they scored more points uh, and, and there was a better margin of victory than the other. So I chose Buffalo. Uh, in the NFC, one through seven, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, LA Rams, Dallas, Arizona, Seattle, San Francisco. Now, wild card round. Uh, in the AFC, I have all three home teams winning. I have Buffalo beating Pittsburgh. I have Cleveland beating Indianapolis. And I have Tennessee exacting revenge from last year against Baltimore. Uh, I think Baltimore is going to have some issues. Um, you know, I just don't think they're quite yet going to be able to get over the hump. Divisional round. I have Kansas City once again beating Tennessee. And to me, this if this actually turns out uh, to be the case, this will be my favorite game perhaps in the entire NFL season. I have Cleveland on the road defeating the Buffalo Bills. There's something about that Cleveland team, the ability to run the ball, in inclement weather, I just think that they are super tough and well-rounded, which is a very important element in um, playoff football. I have that, and I think that if this somehow happened, I think this would be the game of the year. 
And then I have in the conference championship game, I have Kansas City defeating Cleveland. I think Cleveland goes on this, you know, one of those really nice Cinderella runs, but I think there's still different levels to this game. And Patrick Mahomes is just better than Baker Mayfield. Um, and I think that they'll be able to run the ball enough with that offensive line to get things done. So I have Kansas City coming out of the AFC, uh, representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. As for the NFC, I have in the wildcard round, I have one road team winning. I have San Francisco going into Green Bay and winning. Uh, look, the whole Aaron Rodgers saga, I think it's, it, I don't, this, it's not going to be a storybook ending, and I think it's going to end prematurely in the playoffs. That's just my belief. And I look, I said, I love the AFC West, I believe in them. And even though San Francisco finished last in the NFC West because of tiebreakers, I believe in that team, and I think that they're built for the playoffs. I have the L.A. Rams beating the Seattle Seahawks in a rematch of last year's game, although this one will be in L.A. Then, I hate to tell everybody, I think the Arizona Cardinals are still a little young, and their run comes to an end in the wild card round, and Dallas lucks out because they host Arizona. So I have Dallas winning in the wild card round. And I know that upsets everybody, but think about it this way. They're not winning the Super Bowl. Let Jerry Jones think that he has fool's gold and let them have, you know, the 27th pick of the draft and, you know, screw that up. In the divisional round, I have both home teams winning. I have Tampa Bay beating San Francisco in a very entertaining game. Then I have the Rams trouncing the Dallas Cowboys. Conference championship game, I actually have the away team winning. I have the L.A. Rams going down to Tampa Bay and knocking off the Super Bowl champs. I can't really give you a reason as to why. I just think there's something eventually is going to get in the way of Tampa Bay. And, I, you know, one of the things that we've seen, one of the one of the ways to beat a Tom Brady team is to smack him in the mouth, metaphorically, right? And, you know, there's a guy in a defensive line that could do it. It's Aaron Donald and the Los Angeles Rams. So Super Bowl 56, excuse me, we had the Los Angeles Rams and the Kansas City Chiefs. And I had the Los Angeles Rams defeating the Kansas City Chiefs 27 to 23. And as I said in going through the divisional preview, I think Kansas City's undoing is going to be the fact that their defense lacks top end talent. Other than, say, Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew, I'm just not a believer in that defense, even though I'm one of the biggest fans of their defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnolo. I'm just, I worry about that team, particularly. Uh, from in terms of generating pass rush. And I think that will be their undoing. I have the Los Angeles Rams beating the Kansas City Chiefs 27-23 in Super Bowl 56. So there you have it. I thank you again. Uh, for those of you that are listening to us on Sportswire Radio, uh, welcome. And thank you for, um, you know, checking us out. You could find us, again, at all social me- on all social media, at GL Stand Show. Um, and we are thrilled to be on Sportswire Radio. Again, this is part of the Section 247 Sports Network of Podcasts, which includes In the Fight and Book It Better, pal, uh, which talks about all of pro wrestling, uh, past, present, and future. So thank you again. Uh, and also for our Jewish listeners, Eshana Tova, um, everyone, please stay safe, healthy, enjoy the weekend of games i'm glad football is back in our lives and please remember to take a little bit of time this weekend um 
just to remember those that are no longer with us and that tragically lost their lives um, during the attacks of September 11th and then obviously everything else that followed and ensued. So again, thank you. Have a wonderful weekend and we will see you next week. Take care.